And we're going to continue our Masterclass series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount according to Jesus, and I've heard many people give different ideas to what this sermon is about. Dr. Kendall, who preached to start this whole thing off, talked about this is what it looks like if you're governed in the, by the Holy Spirit or you're following the Lord Jesus. This is the life that it should look like. Last week we talked about divorce and remarriage and when it came to covenants, and this morning is a little bit different. I think it connects with that pretty well. But we live in a day and age where there's a lot of terms like fake news, half-truths, misinformation, and things like that. Even if you look at news, I, I was researching this, and do you know there's a fake news generator? You can Google fake news generator, and you can put in your name, and it could create fake news about you. You can create fake news about whatever you want. We're so saturated with fake news, anybody can create their own lies in social media or virtual world. And it's interesting that a couple years ago, there's a, one of my favorite websites and, and blogs and social media handles is the Babylon Bee. Who knows what the Babylon Bee is? Raise your hand. If you love sarcasm, it is like the pinnacle of sarcasm. And a few years ago, you have to know it's a satire website. And a couple years ago, there was a story on the Babylon Bee that had to do with Elevation Church and Pastor Stephen Furtick. And so regardless of what you think about Elevation and Pastor Stephen Furtick, this was the article, if you throw that picture up there. They had a new baptistry, which was the water slide into the stage, which is obviously not true. It's a satire website. But the problem with it is I had so many messages on Facebook talking trash about how could a pastor do that? I hope you're not going to do that. I hope we're not. And this whole thing, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like that's not true. And we live in this culture where there's so many things that are true and so many things that aren't true and so many things that are half true and so many things that are partially true that it, it can be almost paralyzing. Because the world operates, the world's operating system is based off distrust and deception. That's how the world operates. That's how the Antichrist is going to function as the time moves forward. Distrust and deception. But the kingdom operates through trust and truth. It's a, it's, you can't get away. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of truth. It's not a kingdom of half-truths. It's not a kingdom of partial truths. It's not a kingdom of fake news. It's not a kingdom of misinformation. It is a kingdom of truth. And in this little part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to get us back to that place. He says this in verse 33. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Unless you go to the salon, they can hook you up. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so we, we've said this in the Sermon Mount is Jesus' commentary of the law. It's his, it's his way of commenting on what the law should do. It's the spirit of the law. But James, the book of James, is the commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So you have the law, and then Jesus' comment, commentary on the law, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And then James's commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. He says, but above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So it's interesting that if you just take that at face value, you'll think, well, you know, you can't swear in a court. You can't do this. And what was happening was there had been a culture 
of oaths and vows to cover up the misinformation and the distrust that the Jewish people had begun to walk in. We know this because scripture was very clear. There were scriptures, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where it says this, you shall not, shall fear the Lord your God only, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. So in the law, it tells you to swear an oath by God's name, Leviticus 19, and you shall not swear falsely by my name. So there's scriptures that say that you should give oaths. Now Jesus here is saying you shouldn't give oaths. Now the reason for that is the rabbis, the Jewish people, were great at taking a principle and turning that into a way to benefit themselves. It's much like some of the movements we see today. We take a principle of scripture, like the prosperity principle of scripture, and you turn it into a benefit for yourself. In the same way it was happening 2,000 years ago. And so the Mishnah, which is kind of a commentary of rabbis, so there was a principle called Shabuth. And Shabuth was about oaths and covenants and vows. And in that, the Jewish people had manipulated covenants and vows as a way to tell lies continually. So they would tell lies, they'd say stuff like this. They'd come to John, you said you were gonna, you were gonna pay me back. You promised you'd pay me back that loan by tomorrow. And John would say, yeah, but I didn't swear on Jerusalem. Right, it's like little bitty kids, well, I didn't pinky swear. Yeah, I told you that, but my fingers are crossed. I told you, and the Jewish people were becoming these people that weren't identified by the truth. They're identified by lies. And the only time they told the truth was if they were swearing on Jerusalem. If they were swearing out, that's the only time you could trust them. I'll tell you, that is no mark of the kingdom of heaven. If the only time people can trust you is when you're at their courthouse, putting your hand on a Bible and swearing for a judge with the opportunity to go to jail if you lie, if that's the only time you tell the truth, there's a fatherhood problem. Your father's not the father in heaven. He's the father of lies. But we live with that now. Like one of the things I hate hearing people say, Pastor, yo, well, to be honest with you, I'm like, well, hold up. So everything up to this point wasn't true. Well, yeah, but now I'm letting you know, it's really true. Well, hold on. So is there a difference between true and really true? Or is there just truth and untruth? It's so what happens, we do that, we'll say, well, I, I, I swear to God. You hear kids, I, I swear to God. Or, or I swear this, I promise on my mama's life, or I promise on this. What it is, when your credibility lacks, you look for somebody else's credibility to use to carry your word. And what that is, is what Jesus is really saying is, you're taking my father's name in vain. Since you're a liar, you're trying to use his name to cover up your lies. And what's happening today is it's the same way. We take the Lord's name in vain. We use his name to justify what we want to say or to verify or validate what we want to say, even if it's not true. It can be a half-truth, and we say, well, you know, the God's word says, and you try to verify and validate and take God's name in vain. You see, this is the prophetic movement. I posted yesterday, uh, my dear friend and mentor, Dr. R.T. Kendall, wrote a book called Prophetic Integrity, where he has brought a word of correction to the prophetic environment, to the prophetic grouping, prophetic movement, bringing correction, but also trying to bring encouragement to those who aren't believing in the gifts of the Spirit to move towards it and bring it back to the place it's supposed to be. Because the term I use called prophylline. If you prophesy and it only benefits you or your agenda, that is prophylline. 
If you prophesy that somebody's be president for a second consecutive term and it doesn't happen, it's probably because you're prophesying what you wanted, not what God said. And what happens was when we don't have the credibility, we say stuff like this, thus saith the Lord. Or God told me to tell you. Okay, so if, if you had enough integrity or credibility, you could just say, I want to tell you this. But since you don't have the character to do that, you have to say, well, God told me to tell you. No, don't put God on the hook because you're full of junk. Don't put God on the hook because I've seen your social media profile, because your credibility, your character lacks. If you take the Lord's name and use it for your benefit, you've taken his name in vain. And that's what Jesus is trying to hit here in the scripture. Because here's the principle. A life of integrity speaks for itself. If you live a life of integrity, you don't have to swear on Jerusalem. You don't have to swear on the Bible. You don't have to swear before a judge. You don't have to make oaths. You don't have to pinky promise and pinky swear. You don't have to do all that because your life speaks for itself. But when your credibility lacks, when your character lacks, you start trying to use other people's credibility. That is not a mark of the kingdom. That is a mark of hell. When you try to use other people's character and reputation to cover up your lies, there is something deceptively wrong with that. And I believe in the kingdom of heaven, just as Jesus taught, I believe in the kingdom of heaven, there's a credibility gap right now. Stats tell us people trust pastors the same way they trust uh, politicians, which God help us. Right? People don't trust anybody more. They don't trust the church anymore. Because the church says one thing, but does a another. Years ago, I was in Haiti. We're on a trip, and, and we had teams going door to door, sharing the gospel with people and praying for people. And we stopped by this one place, it's like 9 o'clock in the morning. These cats are already playing cards and drinking at 9 a.m. I don't know where you come from. Maybe in, in, in Waterloo, y'all may start that early. <laughs> but most places don't start drinking at 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m., they're drinking, and so our team comes by, and there's literally a guy who's missing a leg. And he has these crutches that are falling apart, they're sliding, and so our team's trying to share the gospel. And as we're trying to share the gospel, this one dude who's the antagonist, he starts talking trash in Creole, and he has a little bit of English, starts talking trash, so I'm getting mad. Like, I'm trying to let our team do their thing, and, and so they pray for the guy that only has the one leg, and we pray for him. We don't just pray for him to get healed. We also, he needed a new set of crutches because his crutches would slide because they were broken on the ends. So we spent the entire rest of the week trying to fulfill our promise to get him new crutches. So we're praying for him and getting him new crutches. We go to the next spot, this same drunk antagonist starts coming and talking to me. I'm like, dude, why are you trying to disrupt? We're here trying to do something good. He's like, oh, the church, the church doesn't do what it says it's going to do. He starts doing all this junk. He's like, see the church, the Catholic church is there. Oh, the church, it doesn't help people. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. And what he's saying is, they say one thing, but do another. Right? We've all seen that. Even in America, we see churches that say one thing. God is love. You're supposed to be marked by love, but then they're hateful, despiteful people. We see all these things. And I told this guy this. I said, listen, your argument with me is invalid. Because I have a whole team of people that just left America using their vacation days, using their money. They're sweating to death in this heat that is only paralleled by hell itself to do exactly what you're saying the church doesn't do. The problem is there's a whole generation 
that have seen the older generation only speak half-truths that have to do with politics and cultural agendas, and they haven't spoken the truth. You can't be a person of the good news and constantly share fake news. Because at some point, the people you're sharing the good news with will start thinking the good news is fake news because all they've seen is the fake. And when our credibility lacks, we have to close the credibility gap. We have to close the gap between what we say and what we do. We have to close the gap between our faith and our works. We have to close the gap between our mouths and our love. We have to close the gap between our salvation and our sanctification to the glory of God. We must close the gap between our revelation and our application. As Christians, we left the gap too wide. And what fills the gap is nothing but a bunch of lack of credibility and half-truths. And if we really believe the good news is the good news, we should protect our word because the good news is only communicated through vessels that either share the truth or share half-truths. And we are those vessels. And it comes down to this. I believe what Jesus is saying in this scripture. It comes down to integrity. Are you who you say you are or are you just who you say you are on Sunday morning? Are you who you say you are, or you just pretend you're that person on Facebook? Are you who you say you are? Integrity, I believe, is going to be the primary determining factor between disciples and cultural Christians in the next generation. There's a whole generation that are sick and tired of lukewarm Southern Bible Belt Christianity. They want to see the real thing that is real 24 7, 365. It's the same on the pulpit as it is in the ballot box. It's the same in the church as it is at work. It's the same in your living room as it is in your bedroom. It's the same at the, the restaurants as it is at school. It is the same. God is looking for people with integrity. Integrity is nothing more than when your actions and your words align or integrate with your beliefs. Meaning I believe this, so I live it out. I believe this, so I speak it. What happens is when you lack integrity, you may believe something, but your actions aren't communicating what you actually believe. You may believe something, but your words actually aren't communicating. Or you speak something, but your, your words or your beliefs actually prove otherwise. And so you may not know this or not, but they will know you by your works, but they'll also know you by your words. And so your words actually are either valuable or not valuable based on what you communicate. And so integrity means this. It means living the truth even when you aren't under oath. Meaning, I should be able to trust your word if we're staying in the parking lot or standing at the altar with your hand on a Bible. I should be able to trust your word if you're talking to me over the phone or through text message, not just when we're at the courthouse waiting to see if you're going to jail or not. Like, integrity means you, your words are so valuable, you never have to be under oath. You never have to, I swear to God, you never have to swear, I swear on Jerusalem, I swear on, you never have to, because your integrity means you're going to share the truth regardless. Miles Monroe, one of my favorite preachers, said this. He says, integrity is when you are one with yourself. You're not one person here and one person there. You're not one person in your actions and one person in your beliefs. You're one. And the word integrity comes from the word integer, which means integrated, whole numbers. When you're in school, we all loved whole numbers. We all hated fractions. 
right? Whoever multiplied fractions, you don't use that in real life. I don't know why they teach you that. We didn't like fractions. Why? Because they weren't whole numbers. We loved whole numbers. Why? They're easier to work with. Do you realize an integer, a whole number, integrity, it's much easier to work with people who are whole than it is people that are divided and compartmentalized. It's a whole lot easier to deal with people who are whole than it is people who are divided and this and that. And it, it's all crazy. And see, we are so compartmentalized that we no longer have integrity. And compartmentalized just means this, that, that you have your, your church box. Maybe you have your family box. You have your work box. Maybe you have your social box. Maybe you have your, your political box. You have all these boxes that each one of those is different people. They have different beliefs and different actions and different, different ideologies. But when you have integrity, you're all one. See, I can't separate my faith from how I parent my kids. I can't separate my faith from how I follow Jesus. I can't separate my faith from how I work. I can't separate my faith from how I manage my finances. I can't. Why? I have to have integrity. I have to be one in all things. And what's happening is we become so compartmentalized, there's cracks in our integrity. Because every place we compartmentalize, there's a space between those two, and it becomes a crack. And when there's cracks, you're destined for a fall. Years ago, I used to believe, how many have watched the movie Titanic? Raise your hand. I've never watched it. I think it's a stupid movie because the ship breaks down, it dies, and everybody dies except for the one girl who should have died. So I haven't watched the movie. If you haven't watched the movie, now you're messed up. But I used to be intrigued with the, the, the documentaries, the scuba divers going down trying to find the Titanic. Most people believe the Titanic crashed because it hit an iceberg and there was this big gaping hole in the side of it. In the 90s, they actually found the Titanic, the scuba divers were down, they found there was no big gaping hole. That the only reason the Titanic sank was because there were six small slits and seams in the hole. When it hit the iceberg, it kind of bent those sheets of steel up to create these small slits because it was detrimented or weak rivets. What that tells me is most of us think we're never gonna fall. We think I'm not gonna have this happen or this, I'm not gonna have an affair, I'm not gonna have. See, you're not gonna have a fall in your faith because of one big gaping hole. Use this because the little small rivets no one pays attention to get weakened and form slits and water gets in and now you're sunk. It's an integrity thing, not a moral failure thing. I heard one person say there's, there's three, I think there's four tests of your integrity. The first one is power. You give a man power, you'll find out who he is. We think power corrupts. Power doesn't corrupt. Power reveals your integrity. If you didn't have any integrity to begin with, you give somebody power, everybody's going to see it. The second one is success or money. You give somebody success, they get successful, all of a sudden they change. No, they didn't change, it just revealed who they really were. One, one of the things Dr. Kendall, my mentor, says the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. So before you have a chance to build your character, if you succeed, it'll actually deteriorate your character because you're not ready to handle the success that's coming your way. The third is sex. When you're given an opportunity to walk outside of God's values and sex, there's a chance to reveal your integrity or people to see who you really are. And the fourth one, I believe, is what is most vitally important to us is this. It's compromise. When you're given the opportunity to compromise your values for an immediate benefit, your integrity will show 
up. When you have the opportunity to compromise your values, this is what I believe, this is who I am, but this is a really great opportunity for me and myself. Your integrity will show up. And that little slit, that little crack is where the enemy will rush in and begin to sink your life and sink your word because it all comes down to the value of your word. What is your word? How valuable is it? And what is it worth? Your words are vitally important. Jesus said this so much. He said, say what you mean and mean what you say and nothing else. He says, say what you mean and mean what you say and nothing else. Because if you go any further, it's actually being used by the enemy. And so I just have three quick points for you real quick on. This is how you can make your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Number one is this. Speak less. Post less. Quit talking so much. The more you talk, the more you lie. Like, we've all seen people. If you've been around the people, they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Dude, no one has that much content in their life. Like, so the more you talk, the more you're going to start making stuff up, exaggerating stuff. And what happens is the more you talk, the less valuable your words become. Like some of the most people I, I adore the most are people with very few words. But when they speak, I'm listening because that word is more valuable than those who are spewing words. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Meaning, your words are valuable. The more you spill them out, the less valuable they become. It's a commodity that you have that you can invest or you can waste. And many of us waste it. We're so, and I'll be honest, just social media-wise, some of y'all are on Facebook so much, no one pays attention to anything you post anymore. You talk so much on Facebook, no one even cares why you've diluted and oversaturated the market. Your words are no longer gold, they're junk. There's an old story, Aesop, of the old Aesop fables used to share. He said there's a donkey who found an old lion skin on the side of the road. He found this old lion skin, and he says, you know, for once, I'm going to be the lion. People are going to be scared of me. I'm going to be the king of the jungle. And this donkey puts this lion skin on it and goes around and starts scaring all the other animals. All the animals are running and fleeing from this lion. He finally gets to a fox, and the donkey tries to roar. But when he roared, it was more like, hee-haw. And the fox is like, it looks like a lion, but it... Sounds like a donkey. And the fox is like, man, I ain't scared of you. He said, if you're going to be a lion, you may want to change your voice. Some of y'all, you look like a Christian. You dress like a Christian. But until I see you post, I realize maybe you ain't a Christian. So you say you're the Lion of Judah. You look like the Lion of Judah on Sunday. You look like the Lion of Judah when you're worshiping. But when you're out there living, as soon as you start talking, I'm like, whoa. Something doesn't match up. You look like Jesus on the outside, but you don't really sound like Jesus. And if you're going to have integrity, if your words are going to be valuable, you may want to speak less, weigh your words, measure words, and use your words to advance the kingdom, not just your selfish endeavors. But two would be, be a truth teller. Because there are no degrees to truth. It is either a truth or a lie. In a day and age where there's partial truths and mistruths and half-truths, you know what we used to call those? 
lies. Now we're so sensitive, we won't even say something to lie. It's like, well, he just misspoke. No, that's called a lie. Well, it was a partial truth. No, that's called a lie. Well, that's a half truth. No, that's a lie. Or we'll say, well, I was just kidding. No, you just lied. Like our kids will try that junk with us. Like, well, no, they'll get caught. But no, 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 I was just kidding. No, you're just lying. Now you're grounded. Right? We live in this culture where we're so sensitive to people's egos and self-esteem that we'll let them continue to walk and talk and live out lies rather than just saying the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of half truths. It's a kingdom of truth. Like we carry the truth. Jesus, he's not a man. There's no lie or deceit in him. We, if we're kingdom people, should be truth tellers. I'm not saying being a jerk on social media, being a jerk and just saying that at the, at the street with a mega horn and shouting stuff at people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when it comes down to it, are your words weighed by truth or are they weighed by personal benefit? And this could go for your social media posts. Like your social media posts, are they advancing God's kingdom or are they advancing your political agenda? Are you advancing God's kingdom or are you advancing your own image? Like you, you start to ask yourself, am I speaking the truth or am I speaking what I want people to think? It makes a huge difference because we've all seen this. Who remembers the story of the, the boy who cried wolf? Right, he's out there, he, he cries wolf, they run out there, there's no wolf there. They, all the towns, people go back, and he's out there in the field, he's watching the sheep, he cries wolf again, everybody comes back out, there's no wolf. They all go back, the third time wolves actually come, he cries wolf, but nobody comes. Why? His words have become less valuable because he wasn't a truth teller. I, I told RJ this He's, I don't know if he's in here or not, but this dude, we'll be hunting. We'll be in two different tree stands. We'll have the radio on. He'll be like, Dad, Dad, there's a big hunking mama right here in front of me, which means a doe, which is weird terminology for deer hunting. And I'm like, what? He's like, there's like six doe right here. And I'm like, okay. So I'm starting walking through. And then like five minutes later, he's like, I'm just kidding. Like my adrenaline's already flowing. I got buck fever. Like I'm ready to eat dinner. Like the whole night. Later on, he'll do the same thing. He's like, Dad, this time it's for real. Like, there's like this huge buck. He starts going with this whole thing. And then later on, he'll be like, Dad, I'm just playing. I'm like, dude, like, I don't trust you anymore. Just shoot. I'll hear the gun go off. Then I'll guess. Right? But it's the same thing when you start saying stuff like this. When you start saying the gospel is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the answer. He is, the church is the hope of the world, but you don't even go to church. Jesus is the answer, but you don't serve Jesus. When you start saying one thing, but your life communicates the other, you're crying wolf to an entire generation who needs the cry of the gospel, but they don't believe it's the gospel because your life doesn't match up. We, as kingdom people, when we cry wolf, everybody should come running. But heaven forbid, every election cycle, here's what happens. You know, this is the end of the world. Pastor, really, this is the end of the world. I'm like, well, I've been through quite a few elections. And they say this every time, and it's going to be okay. Well, this one's different, Pastor. The prophets are saying, I'm like, it's amazing how these prophets prophesy only on election cycles. 
And what the scriptures tell me is that judgment does not begin in the ballot box. Judgment begins in the house of God. And so if we're going to prophesy, make sure it is of God, not of what you want. And we have to be truthful. But number three, we have to be promise keepers. We have to keep our promises. And, and one of the things with Jackie and Marlene, which I think is just beautiful, is they are people that keep their word. When they say they're going to be somewhere, they are there. Promise keepers, your word carries weight. We must develop the habit as people of following through with our word. I'm not talking about just big promises. I'm saying if you say you're going to show up somewhere at 8 o'clock, you get there at 745 and all my kids said, amen. Right? It's not keeping your word if you say, oh yeah, we'll meet at 8 o'clock and you show up at 830. Now I don't trust you the next time you say you're going to meet somewhere. So what happens is when you don't keep your word, your word no longer carries weight. And when your word doesn't carry weight, people don't believe that you're actually going to do what you said you're going to do. And promise keeping, I believe for us, is one of the greatest ways to earn the trust of the culture back to the church. I remember a couple years ago, we were doing Adopt-A-Block out in West Florence, and it was a pouring down rain. And Toy said, we're still going to do it. And I'm like, babe, like, it's really raining. Like, no one's going to show up. She's like, no, we need to do it. She said, we need to keep our word. So we've communicated for two weeks. We're going to be there on this day at this time. We did, and we went to that adopt the block, and it was a flood. People are soaking wet. But I, after it was over, I was like, this is probably the best one we ever had because now these people trust us more that we're not fair weather Christians. We're actually going to stay true to our word. And so the question would be for you is, do people actually trust your word when you say you're going to do something? Does your boss at work, when he asks you to do something, you give your word, does he actually believe you're going to do it? When you say something to your kids, you tell them, I'm going to be at this ball game or I'm going to be at this event, do they actually believe you're going to be there? Because stats tell us that kids' number one, number one root of anxiety and bitterness is broken promises from their parents. Number one, not even divorce. Divorce isn't even number one. It is my daddy said he's going to be here. He promised. And they're sitting there by themselves looking for mom and dad to show up. It's the little things, it's the big things. Your word has to carry weight. And if you can't fulfill your promise, don't give your word. So it says this, say yes or no, but don't say yes, then no. When Jesus says, let your yes be a yes, your no be a no, say yes or no. You have the ability to say no. Jesus says here, you can say no to people. Just don't say yes and later on say no. Now he just ruins your integrity. Ecclesiastes, I think chapter 6 even says it. It says, don't make a vow only to go back on that vow. It'd be better not to even make the vow to begin with. What that means is if you can't fulfill the commitment, just say no. Well, you know, pastor, if I say no, they may get upset with me. They're going to be more upset if you say yes and then say no later on. And our culture is so sensitive, we're afraid to tell people no. You know what no does? It creates a fresh boundary in your life. And I have learned that no is one of those powerful words I can have. If I say yes to everything, I'm saying no to something else. So if I learn to say no to some things, it helps me say yes to my family, helps me say yes to my wife, helps me say yes to my church, helps me say yes to people. I've had to learn the power of no. Some of you's word does not have weight because you never say no. 
and I'm giving you permission to say no. So tomorrow, you can say no. Don't say no to your boss and do not say no to your wife. But to everybody else, say, listen, my schedule's really busy. I, I, can, I'm, I can say yes in the future, but right now I need to say no. Because if I say yes to you, that means I'm going to miss my kid's ball game. If I say yes to you, it means I'm going to miss church. If I say yes to you, so I need to say no so that way my word has weight and value. And when you do start to have integrity with your words, we start becoming whole, then there's rewards I believe God brings to you. Six rewards. I know I said three. Six rewards real quick. It says this. In John 1:47, it says this. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. This is what he was picking his disciples. This is Nathaniel he's looking at. He says, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a son of God, a son of the kingdom, a man of complete integrity. What that tells me is that Jesus here equates being a son of God and integrity as the same thing. But two, what it tells me is Jesus is looking for people with integrity. Integrity is the foundation to trust. It's the foundation of relationships. It's the foundation of blessings. And Jesus is looking for people with integrity. And when he finds them, it's so rare. He's like, that's a person I can bless. It's so rare. Wow, I found a politician with integrity. He gets it all. Here's a person with integrity. They get the blessings. When you have integrity, God can bless you because he can trust you. So number one is integrity grants us greater access to God's presence. So when you have integrity, that you have greater access to God's presence, it says this in Psalm 15. Just five quick verses. It says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Meaning, who should be in your presence? Who should have that intimacy with you? And he says this, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Speak, everybody say Speaks speaks. And then who does not slander with his tongue? Don't say slander. Who does not do evil to his neighbor? Does not take up reproach against his friend? Whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Meaning he's making a vow to have integrity. He's not going to change his commitment. He does not put out his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. He does these things, shall never be Move. You know what most of those things are? Things with the mouth. He's saying those who dwell with him in his holy temple are people who speak truth, who keep the word, who keep the promises. They give greater access to God's presence through prayer and through worship. And one of the things I think is interesting with, with just lying is many times it says this, even at their own cost, that many times we lie or we tell half-truths when the cost of telling the lie is more than we're willing to pay at the time. And I'll tell you this, the truth always costs you something. But it always brings returns on the investment. Number two, integrity guides our lives and our decisions. Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So your integrity will guide you. It takes care of you. It leads you. Why? Because you're one, you're whole. You're not being split between these, all these different desires and agendas and things. You're one person so God can lead you easily. But number three is integrity gives us peace. It gives you peace. Why? 
How many of y'all have a, have a real testimony? Not a VBS testimony. How many of you were in the, did bad before you got saved? Raise your hand. You're all scared. Put your hand down before your spouse sees. You know, when you're doing wrong, you always walk around hoping no one finds out. You're always suspicious. I mean, I wonder if they, I wonder if they know. I wonder, I wonder if they know this. That's why you got a trap phone. Like you're trying to, you're trying to cover your bases. You know what I'm saying? Like you're always worried. But you know, once I got saved and started doing right, I never once was worried about getting caught doing right. Why? Because when you have integrity, it gives you a peace. Your mind doesn't have to walk through all the different scenarios of you getting caught because there's nothing to get caught with. So this is 1 Peter 3, 16 says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I have a peace that no one can slander by name. No one can bring guilt or shame to me. Why? Because I have integrity. For integrity earns us greater respect and influence with others. That when you have integrity, you gain respect and influence of people at your job, at your office, at your construction site, in your classroom, at church. You gain respect. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, had so much integrity. He wasn't going to change who he was or change his word because there was a new benefit involved. And by not doing so, it says they made him chief of the eunuchs. He earned favor. He earned respect. Some of you that would be the greatest, but if people could just respect your word and who you are more, it would open up doors for you that you didn't know could be opened. Number five, though, is integrity positions us for greater blessings and favor in our lives. Luke 16, 10 says, one who is faithful in a little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Integrity means if God can trust you with this, he can trust you with that, and he will test you with the little to see if he can give you the more. I believe that principle, and we don't hit on tithing a lot here. In tithing, if God can't trust you with 10%, he can't trust you with 100%. If God can't trust you with 10% of a job of 30,000, he can't trust you with a tithe of a job of 100,000. It's a principle. It's not about the money to God. It's about the integrity. Are there cracks? If I let you have more opportunity, will it destroy you or make you better? And number six is this. Integrity opens doors for promotion in our lives. In the story of Joseph, it says in Genesis 41, Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one who, in whom the Spirit of God is? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Why? Because he had integrity. God will not take you anywhere. Your character will not keep you. In the day and age of fame and charisma and giftings and talents, God doesn't need your talents. He can gift you what he needs you to have. What he needs is character and integrity. And when he finds it, he can begin to promote you and your gift will make room for you, but your integrity and your character will keep you in the room. And we need kingdom people who are marked, not by fake news, not by misinformation. We need kingdom people who are marked by the truth. When they speak, you should be able to go get a loan without ever signing a piece of paper. You should be able to go to the courthouse and testify without ever having to swear that you are living a life of integrity and your life speaks for itself. We have 
we have to close the credibility gap. I'm not telling you, you know, when I first heard this message this week, I was like, you know, this isn't the most preachy sermon there is, but in the Sermon on the Mount, but it may be the most important. Because if we do not close the gap in our credibility, the gospel will not be transferred from one generation to the next. Because it is transferred through words. And our words have to carry weight. That means what you say should be gold. And you should learn to say what you mean and mean what you say. If you would bow your heads just for a minute. Just one quick private moment before we close up. We're going to have communion in a second, but just one quick moment. I said, you know what, you've been in the room this morning and maybe you came in and, and, and some of the, the worship music touched you, especially the Egypt song about even at your lowest, he was still on his throne. You realize that's, that's the gospel, that when you're fallen in sin, when you're fallen in shame, when you're fallen in your guilt, that Jesus is still king and Lord. He's still pursuing after you. And like I read in Isaiah that he gives you forgiveness and redemption and he draws you into him. That maybe this morning is the morning you get a fresh start in a new beginning. And it starts with this, realizing that Jesus is pursuing you and wanted to show you the love of God and set up his kingdom inside of you. And what it takes is to stop running, to turn to him in repentance and to confess and receive everything he has in store for you. We call that salvation. That's the first step of walking with Jesus. Say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. That, I just feel the, the Holy Spirit's been tugging on my heart this morning. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward this morning. What I am going to ask you to do, just simply in just a second, just raise your hand so I can see you, so I can pray for you, and we can point you in the direction to get some, some resources to help you in this journey. So if you say, that, Pastor, that's me this morning. I, I need a fresh start. That's good. Just raise your hand. Simply where you're at, just raise them. Thank you. After you raise them, you can set them down. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, as we leave, if you just stop by Connection Point, they just have a, a, a nice gift to give you as a resource to help you kind of in this journey. But Father, we love you. And we thank you for your unconditional love and your mercies that are new every single morning. And we thank you that's your love that compels us to repentance. And so we just plead the blood of Jesus right now. We confess where we're at, Father. For those who are outside of you, they confess that they need you, that they're a sinner, Father, only saved by your grace. And Father, I pray that your grace becomes real, it becomes amazing, it becomes tangible. It creates a new creature inside of them. And Father, I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. Renew their minds, strengthen their faith, and guide them and lead them every step of the way. So Father, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.